Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. I'm Adam Gobeski. And I'm Charlie Wallace. This is episode two of our sci-fi shuffle series. We've got three guests today. We've got Paul Wilcox. It's great to be here. Kevin Vredevogue. Hey, I remain excited to be here. <laughs> and Doug Gobeski. Hi, thanks for having me. So as we talked about last time, the idea with this series is that we watch a sci-fi movie and then someone else picks a different one. And so Kevin uh, decided to choose the 2016 film Arrival. Kevin, why did you choose that movie? I remember being interested in the trailers for this movie way back whenever the trailers, I guess, would have premiered early 2016, late 2015. But I I just never got around to watching it. So um seemed like a great movie to check off my list. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to do so. Okay, so but why did you think other people would enjoy it? I gave no consideration. I gave no consideration to your feelings whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. The purpose of the sci-fi shuffle is not necessarily to pick enjoyable movies. Oh, okay. It's to pick the movie you want. (laughs) I missed the first episode, so... For what it's worth, I did know it was critically acclaimed that uh, he kind of started guy whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. Thank you, sir. Uh, you know, if if not started, then at least, you know, boosted his career dramatically to new heights. So I thought it would be a pleasant movie for us all to watch. So everyone else, had you seen it before? Doug, had you seen Arrival before? No, I had not seen Arrival before. I believe i have seen most of the arrival with charlie sheen but uh definitely not the same movie here so nope hadn't seen the amy adams jeremy renner 2016 film arrival paul had you seen arrival the 2016 film we're reviewing today (laughs) uh no no i hadn't i had heard good things and it the you know the concept was intriguing and but i uh Never got around to watching it, so this was my first time. Adam. Yeah, I saw this in theaters because I'd heard of good things, and I heard it involved linguistics, and then I had not seen it again until today. Is any movie involving linguistics a big enough draw for you? Just curious. Not necessarily, but it doesn't hurt. Okay. What about you? This is my third time seeing Arrival. I saw it in the theater, and then I saw it with Kara's parents as a rental because they for a long time were continuing to do Netflix DVDs delivered to your door like long after other people were but it was kind of cool <laughs> because you could actually they'd actually get a lot of movies that I've been meaning to see I'm like oh I'll watch Arrival again that's just what they, just what they happen to have and then um yeah this is the third time so does that mean that Charlie is our resident arrival expert I mean I suppose so as far as maybe plot points that are Picked up directly from watching the film? I don't know. I haven't done a lot of background on this. So Arrival is based on a short story by an author named Ted Chang called Story of Your Life. His starting point was basically if you knew that like you had a kid who would die of some incurable disease that you couldn't do anything to stop, would you still have the child? And then that was sort of his like the seed of his story. And then he built basically the the same story that we get in arrival built that around as a short story there was a producer who read it whose name i'm very sorry i do not remember but i'm pretty sure he went on to be a producer so it's in the credits but he read the story and thought it would make a really good movie which i believe ted chen was like really 
okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so shopped it around and then eventually got Denis Villeneuve interested. And I think uh, up to this point, Denis Villeneuve had done a bunch of like drama films. He'd done some award-winning stuff in Canada. He'd also done Sicario, Prisoners. But uh, he basically said he was a fan of science fiction and was kind of looking for a way to make a science fiction movie. And so when he found out about this, he was like, yeah, I'll do it. So then they made the movie. I didn't do much research. Um, so if Charlie did, <laughs> this is the time. To speak <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think, yeah, there's not much more to add from, from what I know. This is not something that languished in production for years and years and years or has like, yeah, a long history, like some of our Marvel films. So Arrival, what do you want to talk about with Arrival, Charlie? Start us off. Well, the beginning of the movie, I don't know why I didn't really feel this the first couple of times. I definitely felt it the third time. Very, like, 9-11 vibes. I mean, especially since that's when when I was in college and when you were in college, Adam. Like, just the whole scene of going to class and, like, barely anybody being there and there being like something on the news that we needed to pay attention to did you go to class that day i yes i did like i didn't know what to do and my class was like at 10 a.m or something like that so like stuff was still going on and so i was like i guess i'm going to class and then it was promptly canceled when i got there but it was like the same exact sort of feeling for me i mean i might might be unique to me out of all of us but no because i went to class at like two o'clock because I think there was an email that was just something like, hey, uh, come to class. We can process this or whatever. Right, yeah. And I just remember walking across the campus and yeah, how eerily quiet it was. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see that. I don't know that I specifically got that vibe other than maybe in a general sense, but I didn't specifically think of that. But, yeah. Yeah. But it starts out with alien spacecraft, 12 of them coming down and landing in various spots on Earth. Well, not landing, hovering. Just it's surprising everybody, including Amy Adams as Dr. Louise Banks. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, but I feel like Amy Adams has resting sad face. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know. Yep. Yeah, or or at least like tired face or like something exhausted face. <laughs> it really worked in the context of this movie, though, particularly with the kind of playing around with what's happening in the future versus what we're supposed to believe was happening in the past. Like... It made sense that she, for the purposes of the film, looked kind of dour with what the film wanted us to believe initially, at least. And she more or less looked like a linguist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly in line with my preconceived stereotype. Is there (laughs) some sort of physiognomy involved here? Or what do you mean? Uh, her sense of dress was roughly in line with all linguists that I've seen. She wasn't like she wasn't wearing a suit like a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't wasn't wearing her Twitter colors suit. <laughs> Did they establish what university she worked for? Because based on her house, she must have been a pretty well paid linguist. Yeah. yeah, or a independently wealthy. <laughs> Language. I guess that's yeah. possible. <laughs> Didn't pick up on that yeah. subtext, but I guess <laughs> Some that's kind possible. Of family fortune, you know. We know she has a mother. <laughs> uh, beyond that. Uh, apparently they shot at HEC Montreal. That doesn't necessarily, obviously doesn't mean that's where 
it took place, but that was the university they used. Well, I feel like we can say for certain that's not where it took place, because uh, clearly she was at an American university. I gotta pull up the movie and look at the map they showed and see. (laughs) Is there a border? (laughs) So getting right into the twist that all the stuff we see of which we assume is the past is really the future. When you kind of when you watch this like a second or third time, or just even discussing it now, it's like, oh, we really don't know anything about her, do we? Like, because we assume that these are flashbacks, and when you don't have that, you're like, oh yeah, how'd she get this house? What kind of person is she? Like, I mean, it may not be important, I guess, but I mean, you don't know. The house could be on a super fun site, and she got it as a deal. That's true. Well, she could be yeah. like, yeah, it could belong to the university. Oh, so many questions unanswered. Yeah, terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the... Uh, Insufficient hand yeah. <laughs> No info dump. Uh, front-loaded. I need nope. voiceover telling me about the status of the world and the characters first. <laughs> no uh, screens of biographies that we can freeze-frame to study. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but yeah, maybe we should just talk about what do we know about Louise. We know that she's a translator. We know that she's a professor. Well, a teacher, at least. I guess we don't know if she's tenured or an adjunct. We know she did some work for the U.S. involving Farsi. Per my wife, she doesn't speak Mandarin very well. (laughs) Well, she's a linguist, not necessarily a translator. (laughs) Well, wasn't she just learning it wrote at the time like well earlier in the movie when they're listening in she she claimed to be at least familiar with the language when she was uh listening to the mahjong conversation or whatever general yeah general chen oh right okay shang shang thank you so she would have at least understood the words that she was saying to uh yeah okay but you know there's a difference between understanding and speaking (laughs) having yeah having just great pronunciation (laughs) yeah so what else do we know charlie about louise what what do we know she's a linguist and she's fairly well renowned in her field but i guess not the first person they go to and we think we know about her past that she has had a child who well i guess we know the child has died of some disease but that turns out not to have been in the past wait um she is the first person they go to isn't she I think, didn't they say, like, they tried somebody else first? No. They they say um, yeah. that she still has some, like, top secret clearance. Oh, right. They went to her first because Otherwise, she had. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. They imply they would have gone to someone else if not for that. Correct. Yeah. It seems like during an alien invasion might be a time to bend the rules and go to your first choice first, but I guess I don't run the government. Well... <laughs> she may have been his first choice and he was just yep. saying that to be like oh if you're gonna go talk to evans he's an idiot or whatever i understood the punchline of the what is the sanskrit word for war and what is its translation but why did that make forrest whitaker choose amy adams over the berkeley person i mean he had a helicopter there so he was probably choosing her anyway but okay i suspect the point of that is to illustrate that context matters that words may not mean precisely what we think they might mean in other words translation in some ways is an art form right like do you do literal translations do you do 
figurative translations and then how do you decide at any given point which side of that line you want to be on the thing that i found weird about that though was that then forrest whitaker had to have gone to a third person to ask which was correct (laughs) (laughs) who then must have agreed with amy adams and therefore would have been another potential i don't know (laughs) i'm thinking too hard was very confusing (laughs) i assume he had access to translators as part of the military right they probably just had somebody on staff it's just they didn't have anyone on staff who could speak uh heptapod I mean, she's pretty clearly the head of the team, right? It's not like she's the, she may be the only person interacting directly with the heptapods, but she's not the only person working on the problem. You know what? I guess there was a different guy in charge and it's implied that he couldn't handle it and had to get like medevaced out of there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a follow up on that, actually. Uh, Having seen Denis Villeneuve's subsequent movie, Blade Runner 2049, I found myself thinking, hmm, we just had a guy, you know, kind of carted out here because he, I assume, went crazy or something. (laughs) And we never see these people getting like regular psych evals. Like you would think for sure that in a super stressful situation like that repeatedly, you'd be doing regular debriefings with a therapist or something right you know you you care about mental hygiene so that your people don't go insane and uh you know tell the uh aliens that yes please destroy the earth <laughs> or say plant a bomb in the alien spaceship exactly like that. yeah please expand upon why that is related to blade runner 2049 it's relevant for the listeners because the main character in Blade Runner 2049, essentially every time he comes back to the police station, they put him in a room and have him go through uh, a sequence of exchanges to prove that he's still in control of his emotions, more or less. That does also work under the assumption that this has been going on for, what, more than a couple days? What have they been? It's been like a week. I think they're a lot of these questions are just like answered by they're flying by the seat of their pants. And yeah, if this were going on for a year, maybe they'd be getting psyche fouls, but they're just like, get somebody in there. Wow. Wouldn't want to have you in charge of anything there. <laughs> hey, I don't Gosh. know. Gosh. Time is not on their side as far as gotta, I know. Yeah, but you, you got to take care of your people. They um they sent her to the doctor once or twice, though his entire like medical job... Stuff. I was going to say he just gave her booster shot after booster <laughs> shot every time she showed yeah. up. <laughs> this syringe is full of B vitamins. You'll pep right up, don't worry. <laughs> but they sent her in like five minutes after she got there? That's what it felt like. Yeah. That it's like, you're going in. With, with a convenient for us very little amount of uh, briefing. <laughs> we're not going to tell you what they look like. You ask, but we're not going to tell you. <laughs> it's important that you be very affected by their appearance. <laughs> Nobody tell her that we call them septopods. Heptopods. Heptopods, sorry. So yeah, really nobody tell them that they're called, we call them septopods because no one does. <laughs> <laughs> Let me also continue to list the other things we don't call them. <laughs> we don't call them Spider hands. We don't call them <laughs> squid cousin. <fingers. laughs> we don't call them the thing. 
So one of the things that struck me just watching the movie this time is how relaxed the pacing is, maybe, it's the way to put it. Like, it's not a movie that's designed to keep you on the edge of your seat. And I wondered how people thought about that. I liked it, but I, it, it's also good to point out that it doesn't take them very long to get to the spaceship either. So it is relaxed pace, but they don't waste too much time at the beginning. Like they just send her, yeah. Like I said, they just send yeah. her right in. I mean, they've got the introduction. Like you get. Well, I think I'm just thinking of all like the the long tracking shots of like the impossible exactly. corridor yeah. and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Which, in retrospect, having seen both Blade Runner 2049 and Dune Part One, uh, does feel like a sort of view sort of trait. Like the sort of thing he kind of likes those sort of long tracking shots. Oh, it feels like. I guess coming off of 2001 A Space Odyssey, it maybe felt a little bit, but like I didn't notice yeah. the slowness of the pace because <laughs> there were not like action flick. Yeah, like 10 minutes of just things floating through space were not included in the uh, center of the film. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess this is another of what was it Paul or Kevin dubbed, or maybe it was Charlie dubbed a thinky movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. Honestly, the the movie which came to mind for me was uh, the 2004 Julianne Moore film, The Forgotten, where it's just this very slow burn. I think they gain a lot of ability to do that, too, by having a lot of the characterization come through like their jobs. Like We learn about who people are just through what they do. So yeah, there isn't a lot of background on anybody. Like thinking about Jeremy Renner, I'm like, well, he's a scientist. <laughs> we know that. He's a theoretical physicist. I was trying to remember whether he's a mathematician or a physicist. Theoretical physicist. Yeah. He said something later on about uh, staring up at the sky. So I got to imagine that he does astrophysics rather than, like, say, nuclear physics. Well, he's out of uh, Los Alamos. So. Oh, well, shoot. Maybe he is working on the uh, the laser fusion thing. I think he was just kind of generic science guy. <laughs> yeah. Does way, science. Uh, way, way, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm having trouble saying things without insulting science. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, science can take it. <laughs> like, from my experience, he was, he was a lot more immediately personable and uh, funnier. <laughs> conventionally attractive (laughs) that too uh if they hadn't made such a big fuss about his name i don't know that i would have remembered that it was ian yeah same yeah i think with the kind of with the pace too did like the the sort of the color palette strike you guys like as i don't know almost like intentionally sort of flattened or i don't want to say it had had a saturated look yeah yes I personally chalk that up to just being from the mid 2010s, though. Just oh, possible. Like, yeah. I'm not saying I'm right with that. Examples so. of, uh, you know, kind of those like sweeping, just perpetually uh, cloudy, wet looking vistas. Yeah. I um, I haven't seen any other of uh, Dennis Villanueva's movies. Wow. <laughs> 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 I was intentionally as poorly <laughs> spoken as I could, but um, you chose I didn't know. this movie. 
<laughs> I know. I've only ever ne- seen his name written. I didn't even know he was French, French-Canadian. Uh, I haven't seen any of the rest of this director's movies. I wasn't sure if that was just, like, stylistically what he did, like, if that was his his kind of go-to look. But uh, I thought, again, especially presenting it, you know, in the beginning as kind of a tragedy for Amy Adams' character that we believe has already occurred, I thought the muted color palette kind of worked with, as we've already covered, uh, Amy Adams's resting sad face to kind of convey her general energy or what we would have believed to be her energy had her daughter been born in the past. I think we get some more vibrant colors when we see those other scenes with their daughter, right? I thought I remember... Or am I wrong? Yeah. Well, like, the scene where they're doing, like, the cowboy thing, like, her daughter's wearing brighter colors, but I thought I remember the sky still kind of being that, like... Could be, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it might be the brightest scene in the movie might actually be the, like, future reception where she meets the general. Oh, yeah, yeah. Since you brought that up can we talk about does everyone know what the bootstrap paradox is yes okay but you should i don't think i, I don't think you should i, do. I i'm probably going to explain this semi-poorly but like uh i guess i'll this use an example explanation yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll directly use an example from the movie so amy adams learned the alien language because in the future she had already learned the alien language So now, back in the movie's present, she knows the alien language, but then does she really need to learn it now going forward? And (laughs) if she's not going to go through the process of learning it, then how is she going to learn it from herself in the future? And thus it repeats over and over again. Is that those who know what the bootstrap paradox is? Is that is that about right? Yes. Perfect. Pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps is where this name comes from. So that that's not actually something you can do. Did anyone have any thoughts? And I know we are all regular time livers, not non-linear time livers. <laughs> Hold like, up. I mean, I'm kind of a dumb guy, uh, so maybe I just didn't understand what was going on. Are you telling me that she learned how to read the alien language like really well? By reading her own book that she wrote in the future on how to read the alien language? Uh, Sort of, yes. Or at least by experiencing having written the book, if not literally popping into her future body very quickly, flipping through the pages and then going back into the past. So what the movie, I think, is trying to do, and they bring up the Sapir Whorf hypothesis, which we can talk about in a bit. I believe the idea is once she starts learning the language, because the language is spoken by people, a species who experience time all at once, basically, rather than linearly the way we do. And so on some level, right, this gets rid of free will, right? Because in order mm-hmm. to sort of take this perspective, it has to, you have to be sort of deterministic and just whatever happens has always happened and will always have happened. But because that happens... She starts learning the language that starts to affect her, and then she starts to experience time that way, such that she ends up doing what looks like a bootstrap paradox. Yeah, but perhaps it's just a bootstrap paradox because of how we perceive time versus how they perceive time. So I guess, you know, I think maybe it was you, Adam, that said that the original premise that the book sprang from was if you knew your child was going to die prematurely would you still have that child i guess 
if we're assuming that everything is predetermined, like she never really had to make that choice. Like, even though she knew what was going to happen, it was always going to happen. There was no choice in that matter. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think if you want to try and take all these things to their logical conclusion, that might be what you have to do. But um, I Doug mean, disagrees. I I disagree a little bit. It's it sounds like uh, the premise of the story is essentially eternal recurrence. And eternal recurrence, to my understanding at least, is the idea that uh, everything that has ever happened and will ever happen has already happened and will already happen again. And you're really just sort of running through the cycle, you know, again and again. So my understanding um, is that this is this forms the basis of a large part of Nietzsche's uh, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Oh, man, it's back. Yeah, right? <laughs> we got to build and... it in every episode now. <laughs> 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 when we do RoboCop, it's got to be in there. <laughs> the main takeaway is that uh, if you have the knowledge that whatever you do in life, you're going to have to do it again and again and again, you might as well have it be something that, you know, is enjoyable and that you're satisfied with rather than just being miserable. So in that regard, she's really just choosing to bring this child into the world and such and, you know, uh, raise her and, you know, then, you know, have the tragic ending anyway. It's not so much a, oh, there's no free will. It's all, you know, the clockwork universe. It's more... You have this eternal recurrence, but you still have the choice to embrace it and be happy. So, interesting alternate take. I guess it depends, too, whether you think, if the question is, would you do all of this knowing what's going to happen, and you want to answer the question, but it doesn't necessarily mean we have to present the character with that question. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, if the question is, would you have a child if the child were going to die, and the answer were, of course you would then basically you present her as saying like, well, there's no choice, right? The answer is obvious that she would. So like, it's not like she even has a choice. I mean, I guess that's a way to think about it. I don't know if that's what you think the answer is, if that's what the author thinks the answer is. Maybe that's the point of view of the movie. That's what I feel like the point of view of the movie is. I mean, I agree. I just don't see why it's obvious. Well, no, but the movie says that it's obvious by not presenting it as a choice so much as something that just is. Things that are, are obvious. This is your take. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Got to start somewhere (laughs) when you're building philosophy. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't necessarily have to start there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having trouble uh, squaring myself with any of these interpretations. (laughs) What was your interpretation? I'm not saying I have an alternative. It just seems like, you know, I, I can't square the simultaneous existence of of free will and you know predetermination i guess i think i don't I think have trouble breaking have. out of that yeah you know, maybe i'm just too i can't think in non-linear time so it just seems like the point is impossible no matter what like <laughs> uh, she doesn't have a choice and that's how it goes and you somehow accept it but that's also the only thing that could happen I don't think you can have both, like, true <laughs> predetermination and free will. Like, there's, 
and again, the movie doesn't like dig that deep into like, oh, what if she tries to break the Matrix or whatever? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But uh, no, I'd like, like to see that. So scene. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Take me to the architect. <laughs> she just flies away after the uh, heptapods. Excuse me. I mean, I can play back the movie again. And then, you know, once I'm done, play it back again, and it'll be the same each playthrough. But that doesn't mean that what was in the movie, those scenes, the editing, all of that stuff, was predetermined. You know, you're just you're just playing through the recording again. So that's how I'm squaring huh, the yeah. eternal recurrence with the existence of free will. But, okay, I'm trying to apply that to life. And... I guess the equivalent, because the movie becomes determined once the editors are done, once the Blu-ray is printed, whatever. Like, you know, at the beginning of everything, you would have some set of conditions that are either created by the Big Bang or some god figure or whatever. But from there on out, the Blu-ray is printed. Would you agree with that statement? I'm I'm trying to follow the analogy. No, to... because I rented it through Google Play. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> now that we can't trust our digital overlords, <laughs> there's no truth. The ones and zeros can be flipped. <laughs> okay, so this is all pretty crazy. Uh, but for you, Paul, and for you know myself, let's be honest. Uh, I have an alternative explanation of what's going on. It's got to be Jacob's Ladder, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> no, but that's a good point. Have you seen that movie? It's pretty good. So we're to understand that by learning the alien language, she is granted the superpower of precognition, effectively. And as proof of this, we see her resolving the uh, global conflict by calling up uh, General Shang on the phone and telling him his wife's last words. Okay, alternatively, what I think could be going on here is that, as stated before, you know, she's not getting regular psych evals. She is having a psychotic break. Like, she didn't have a kid. Maybe she had a kid. Maybe she didn't have a kid. You know, whatever. She's going crazy. And when the aliens pick her up in the tiny cylinder and, you know, bring her to the, you know, beyond the glass and she's breathing in the fumes and such, she doesn't get the power of precognition from learning the language. She gets the power of mind reading telepathy <laughs> from the fumes. Okay. And so she's able to then call up the guy and, you know, having read his brain to know what his number is, and then, you know, essentially recites the contents of his mind to him. Now, we don't have any other real evidence shown to us of anyone else developing precognitive powers, do we? And that, that's something we should talk about, yes. So um, there's, there's my crazy interpretation. Can I ask a follow-up question? And this result, uh, yes, but let me just say, this resolves a uh, sticky thing which comes up later. My follow-up question is, why was this directed specifically at Paul? <laughs> oh, because he said something about uh, 
alternative theories. <laughs> and that none of the theories made sense to me. So maybe, yep. the, maybe, the maybe this crazy, crazy one will. <laughs> so she learns the language. Yep. Incidentally goes crazy. Is going crazy. Yep. Okay. And separately and purely subtextually develops mind reading powers. Yes. That allow her to pick the phone number yep. of a Chinese general out of his brain and presumably grab his his on wife's the other side of a, the planet. Dying words out of there. Yep. Now I ask you, is that any more or less plausible than 18 months in the future, she meets him at a reception or banquet or, or whatever, and he tells and shows her all of this? <laughs> it's not a question of plausible. It's what, I, what the movie shows you. <laughs> yes. I agree that it is unlikely that either of them will happen to me in my lifetime. Right. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah. And she is explicitly the narrator as well. So, so I guess further, you're suggesting that the daughter, the marriage, all of that may have just been her being crazy. Pretty much. May. May. Okay. It's, it's possible, yeah. It's I possible. Agree Maybe she did have a daughter and she just went insane from grief. And so a lot of the stuff is either flashbacks or just purely imagined. You know, like maybe she's so insane from grief that she's imagining marrying this guy that she uh, is working with every day and having another daughter or something. Well, that's a take. I think everyone's allowed to interpret art the way they want to. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I'm going to humbly suggest that is not where the movie is directing most of the audience. <laughs> I will grant you that. Yes. Charlie, I think somewhere during that explanation, you wanted to bring up something yeah. unrelated to that explanation right. that I suspect is something I also wanted so, to talk about. So Adam has a better background about this hypothesis you were mentioning before. Why don't you explain that, Adam? Ah, yes. The reason I left the theater grumpy the first time, thinking, I was like, this is how Charlie feels when people screw up basic physics things <laughs> in movies. <laughs> So the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, which is a bit of a misnomer because Sapir and Whorf didn't work on this together. I'm not even sure they were alive at the same time, really. Uh, so a better way to think of this might be linguistic relativism, I think is the term we now use. Basically, it's the idea that the language that you speak influences your th thought perceptions and how you perceive the world. There's basically two versions of this. There's the strong hypothesis, which is the one that the movie goes for, which is basically the languages that you speak fundamentally change how you perceive the world. And there's the weak version that I think more people generally accept, where it uh, influences perhaps how you see the world rather than directly changes. I should probably just put my cards on the table and base say I'm basically a universalist here and that I more or less believe in universal grammar which is basically the idea that there's some innate thing in humans that allows us to use language that other uh, animals lack. Whether that's actually universal, whether that's actually even a grammar, or whether it's just a name that Chomsky came up with, that's up for interpretation. Other than just the basic idea that there is something about humans that lets us use language in ways that other species don't. 
And so as a universalist, it's hard for me to put much credence in linguistic relativism because it just feels like if this hypothesis is true that language affects how you perceive the world, then this should be a slam dunk, easy thing to prove. And it's not. You kind of get some weak associations with like color terms and things like this. But if you try to run like serious experiments about this, like where you take two speakers of two languages that like differentiate something in some way. So, for example, languages generally classify nouns as either count nouns or mass nouns. Count nouns are things like beans, bottles, books, things that we can pluralize easy. Mass nouns are things that are not easy to pluralize. So sand, water, rice, that sort of thing. But not all languages divide nouns in these two ways, right? So you can have a word be count not be a count noun in English, but a mass noun in like Japanese or something like that. So theoretically, you should be able to take things like this and then just have it show that, yes, speakers of English classify this noun as similar to this sort of substance. And so they're all count and Japanese speakers put it in the other category as mass and things like that. And it doesn't really come out that way. It turns out people are just people and they all more or less do roughly the same thing. The other problem with linguistic relativism, I think, is just that um, it's a really tough thing to tease apart, whether it's language affecting the way you think or whether the way you think ends up influencing the language that you choose to use. So that's my soapbox. That's why I was grumpy through uh, the end of the movie <laughs> the first time I saw it. Um, I was able to put that aside somewhat this time around where I was able to be like, all right. When I knew it was coming, it was like, OK, I can I will be on board with them for the duration of the movie. Slamming that I believe button. <laughs> yep. All right. So if the movie brings up that hypothesis and they explain it slightly, yep. which should leave us lead us to believe that it is her learning the language that allows her to perceive time this this way if that's the case and then she writes a book about the language and other people learn it do we get any proof that anybody else can start to do that we don't but i think only because as doug said louise is the narrator so we don't we're not privy to anyone else's internal thoughts or dreams or anything like that we don't know if if other people in the movie experience this in the same way and maybe they're just not in the position like now it may also be that there's something to do with louise herself and that because she has this experience as a translator and not necessarily literal translation but also sometimes literal translation and knowing when to choose and not that maybe her brain is more receptive to it than someone like ian who might literally just be like because he comments at one point that she treats language like mathematics and so it might be he might be too rigid to properly understand what he's been slowly helping them decipher and stuff that's one thought i've got a couple thoughts i guess one would be that if anyone were to learn the language it would be relative to i mean most of the movie like in the present uh, it would be in the future, which we never really see beyond that, like, you know, the little bits of Louise and, and her daughter, Hannah, and the, the reception. So it's possible that, you know, all of humanity eventually develops this sort of nonlinear existence, but it's so far down the line that that is not something the movie covers. Oh, okay. Um, because it trickles at, in. Cause, like, I it's like guess. she learned it in a future dump. 
because but really, it would take decades maybe to learn. Sure, and and it seems like, and this could just be that something they didn't bother addressing. But like she she gained this way of existence from like the movies present onward. Like we don't see her going back to like her childhood or anything like that. So maybe it kind of starts whenever you get a certain level of understanding of the language and then you move on from there. The other I guess thing, just, just to interrupt briefly, uh, yeah, the way absolutely. I was sort of treating that was that they were memories for her, but they were memories of the future. And because she hadn't experienced those memories linearly, that's why they were confusing to her in a way that like, say when she talks to Ian about how, being good at communicating I mean you know she's still single right like maybe she has a memory at that point that we're just not privy to because she understands that memory fair i i watched this movie one and a half times because i only had an hour leading up to this podcast and i was trying to catch little things like that where maybe they were indicating even before she knew the language that maybe she knew what was to come like you get an occasional glance at ian every now and then but i it's hard to say whether or not that's like because she knows there's some future relationship or because it's jeremy renner and he's cute or whatever (laughs) um she has a zap exactly it's 2016 um we get (laughs) i I do have a i do have a quick aside uh the the thing about being single i just assumed that she was a widow and that was why and so you know that the dead daughter was in the past as well and that's the other way to be single right but i think the first time the alarm, the movie encourages you to do that. But, you know, watching it a second time, I think you're meant to see it as the other way. Yeah, yeah. And I know that she does the voiceover talking to her daughter. Do we see flash forwards of her daughter before she meets the aliens, though? At the, the very beginning of the one. movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Besides that, no. Are we meant to believe this is just like they're showing us something? Well, I guess they're always showing us things out of order. But, like, does she start to get this ability before she even meets the aliens? Nothing I saw in the first half of the movie, having, you know, watched it a full time before that, seemed to indicate that. Okay. Outside of, as you point out, I mean, she's the narrator of the movie, so it seems like she's narrating from a point in the future relative to the life of her daughter. Okay. Although with nonlinear time, I guess it could be at any time <laughs> right. longer life How much does yeah. it matter, I guess? <laughs> yeah, like, right? when, yep, when, <laughs> So yeah, like when do we first see? So it opens with a flashback, but were there others before she like began to talk to the aliens? The very was the first idea one, that they trickled those in as she like gained awareness or something. I think the very first one is right after right after she takes her suit off in the the alien you know antechamber, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Oh, which brings me to my second point. That's right. I had two points. Um, you did. Okay. There were two things that I had noticed. And I guess I, uh, this goes back to the, uh, you know, does anyone who learns this language magically get the ability to exist in all points at time at once? Right before they start getting some, like, written communication back from the aliens, or possibly the time she, like, shows her name there's some meter in the room and the meter goes from barely registering anything to like shooting off the charts and then right before pretty the sure that's bu- a decibel meter that's purely sound okay fair because it's reacting to the 
bird chirping as well. That's a good point. But it does react before there's really any noise from them when they come back. Like, eventually they start making noise. But first, and whether this is just editing or what, I don't know. But, like, it goes off the charts, and then you hear them start to make sound. And then she has a flash forward memory of the future, whatever, right before the bomb goes off, when she's, like, in physical contact with the well, I suppose with the glass when her and the alien are kind of pushing their hands together. I wasn't sure if they were implying that beyond learning the language, she was somehow, I don't know, psychically, or there was like an actual physical process going on between her and the aliens to give her this ability. Did anyone else pick up on anything resembling that? Hearing nothing, I was in my corner. (laughs) We also get the scene where she's hovering in the gas with them. And so this time I thought, oh, maybe they're trying to say that, like, she got this ability because she had this contact with them. Mm -hmm. In addition, you know, to the language. Because I don't think they would have brought that up if that was... Magic alien gas. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So wait, what's about the... What's the deal with the linguistic relativism then you know where they're talking about how language changes your brain because that would imply that it's learning the language gives you superpowers i i don't know (laughs) it could be an aspect of it like again i'm just trying to rationalize how all of (laughs) humanity doesn't suddenly become really not human anymore by living in this completely foreign existence with the fact that Amy Adams clearly is getting these magical superpowers. So, like, the one difference between everyone reading her book and her is that she has had these direct contact events. Um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I guess the movie doesn't really directly address what is happening with the rest of humanity in regards to time passing normally. Yeah, I'm in I that it took it decades to... for everyone to grok the language to the level you have to to be able to piece it together as being like precognition i mean it might just be the same reason why superman can fly and now you know what it feels like (laughs) (laughs) when you're like this doesn't make sense because oh this theory is kind of bull (laughs) right (laughs) one thing i also want to say (laughs) is that as far as the future the only two people that we know anything about other than louise is we know her daughter it doesn't see the future and we're pretty sure jeremy renner doesn't either or else he wouldn't be mad yeah to me jeremy told jeremy renner is the most likely person in the movie to have also learned the language and so that's why i was thinking that maybe his thinking was too rigid for him to fully right yeah be absorbed to let the language change him in that way hmm so, I mean, I kind of propose my alternative theory as a as a laugh, but now I'm one now I'm actually kind of on board with my own BS. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. I realize that you're not supposed to in that it is pretty insane and stupid, but nonetheless, big fan. Doug is getting high on his own supply. It's so <laughs> <laughs> Yep. I think the core problem I have with your theory is you could apply it to literally any movie and it would (laughs) probably apply. Like, what if there was no genie in Aladdin and Aladdin was just bad crazy the entire movie? (laughs) You can tell because it's 
starts right there. Everything. From, oh no no no. There's no, a no, there's no. a A section and a B section. One is reliable narrator. No no. I need, reliable. I need to maybe uh, maybe this to make Rise of Skywalker better. <laughs> I need to clarify. She actually does have a superpower that she gets from being in contact with the aliens. It's just it's not the superpower that she presents it as. That's all. And the That's the stuff right. about the kid yeah. is her going crazy. The, the the stuff of the aliens that all that all actually happened. That's that's the the gist of my uh, my silly theory. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't we don't really know that the other stuff happens. Yeah. Sorry, I just don't want to be espousing a uh, one size fits all silly theory. Nope, that's fair. That's a fair clarification. So setting aside my uh, ridiculous ideas about the movie, you know, just taking the movie as it's presented to us, I have a a concern. That I'm not able to resolve on my own, possibly because I'm just not good at watching movies, possibly because it's not in there. But does does Amy Adams effectively rob Jeremy Renner of agency using her precog powers? Uh, yeah, it could be part of why he's angry, except that she tells him that it's uh, it's I an mean, incurable she, she, disease that you can't prevent. Yeah, she tells him after the child, after Hannah's born, so... So I assume it's more that he's angry that she knew Hannah was going to die and still went through with it. And oh, you know. but then yeah, like I guess you're right. Her, then Doug, yeah, yeah. Like, he could have yes. had agency ahead of time if she had told him. Yeah, if he had been like, "Do you want to make a baby?" and she was like, "Okay, hold on, let's, let's talk." <laughs> <to> the <answer."> <laughs> <laughs> Let me kill the mood. <laughs> I guess to kind of bring that back around to, did she ever really have a choice? Like. They could have adopted, right? Like, there were ways to rear a child without this exact scenario happening. Or or were there, I guess? Like, if it seems like there were a million other choices that would not have resulted in this tragedy. But for whatever reason, and again, I'm not a nonlinear being, so I don't know exactly how it works. Like, Move off the super fun site that she lives on that gives her child <laughs> <cancer>. <laughs> And her superpowers. <laughs> I think we're to believe that when she learns the language, or when she gets this power, she knows everything, like every second of every day. So I don't know. I think it's just more that she experiences memory the way we experience memory. It's just that for her, deja vu is both more accurate and more defined, is maybe one way to think of it. I I guess I took it as more of like a Dr. Manhattan situation where like she existed and was aware of her existence at all points on the timeline at once. Like uh, I and, don't and, think that's I see where you're coming from. I don't think that's what the movie is driving towards. Okay. So Be- because you, think of think of how she gets the phone number and General Shane's wife's dying words it's not like she just instantly knows them it's that she has to remember them but she has to remember them from in the future see i guess i view that as both i mean i guess to an extent a limitation of having to create a film for again us humans who can (laughs) only watch one thing at one time and and really her 
still kind of getting into her quote unquote powers. Like she's she's still just learning to experience this as she goes. But uh, yeah, like, again, I guess terribly recall a memory that you haven't experienced yet in linear time. Right. So I feel like this really broke Paul's brain. <laughs> Wait a second. I've heard of people having that. Like they have like a dream of something occurring and then like a few weeks later it actually occurs. Oh, that doesn't huh. bode well. <laughs> Bad dreams, Paul. But so Adam, you're saying she could basically selectively look into the future? That's how you interpret it? Like she she gained the power of precognition, not that she exists in all points in time. She still exists in the present, but she can basically see the future. Yeah, it's not that she's, yeah, omnitemporisha? I don't know how you would even say that. <laughs> it's not that she exists at all points at once in her timeline. It's that she, her perception of time has changed, not her... Yeah, it's not her existence in time, it's her perception of time. And it's not, yeah, that she exists at all points down her timeline up and down. So does she experience things the same way that the aliens do now, or is it different? We have no idea, because we don't know, we just don't know, right? Like, the fact that she knows all these other languages, and if you treat the linguistic relativism that the movie espouses as reality presumably she's been affected by all sorts of different things and so it could just be the whole mix and meld of it Hmm. yeah gotta have all those ingredients in the pot yeah i also hope we go into this deep dive about how superman can fly (laughs) get to that because but one thing i caught this time was i liked how they explained that the ships were somehow communicating with each other without sending out any signals whatsoever and i was like oh okay that kind of makes sense with how they think because they know what the rest of them are thinking because they can look into the future and already know (laughs) they're talking the future they already talked about it exactly (laughs) or they just have telepathy (laughs) you're right Doug. (laughs) your theory still works I I noticed that the uh, reference to Australian Aborigines too, which isn't there a like kind of a non-linear time element to Aboriginal culture. If you guys know anything about that, I don't. I have the vaguest familiarity to say to be able to say that you're you might be onto something here, but no specific familiarity okay. to to articulate it. Sorry. I wish I I wish I did because uh, I. Uh, that was one thing that once once the nonlinear time thing came up, I was like, oh, they they foreshadowed it with the kangaroo reference. <laughs> I, I was distracted. What was the question? Uh, Do just kangaroos about... experience life nonlinearly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they experience it in short hops. <laughs> uh, that was oh. a dad joke. I like that. I, I was I mentioned the Aboriginal concept of time, oh. but didn't have a lot to back it up. It looks like there's uh, just pulling up some abstracts or whatever, but there might be kind of different categories, not exclusively linear, often events, place events in a circular pattern of time to which an individual is in the center of time circles. And events are placed in time according to their relative importance for the individual in his or her respective community. Uh, 
I haven't, you know, I don't know all the details of it, but I feel like that's had, had to have been why they referenced that. And I was wondering if that at all informed what they were going for in, with the aliens. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything about that. It does bring up a question, Adam. What do you think about a linguist who lies about their field in order to get their way and then says, well, it proved my point, didn't it? Even though it wasn't true. <laughs> you know anybody like that? What? I just, I don't know. I would have bothered me if the physicist just made up some uh, some physics <laughs> in order to get somebody to do what they wanted. And was like, no, I was just BSing the whole time. I'm not here. I'm not here to do science. I'm here to get my way. Oh, well, I think she was illustrating a point rather than being completely factually accurate about a folk <laughs> etymology. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think it's a question of uh, professional ethics, Charlie. I think it's Probably a question not. of she's good at politics. <laughs> she's no dummy. I don't know. I was taking it literally. So I, sus- I suspected it was fake, but, you know, I was about to take it back to my commanding officer and relay it as truth. So. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think, is there anything non-philosophical we want to talk about about the movie? Yeah, it made me think about like some of the other characters and stuff too. Like, yeah, like the, didn't talk about any of like the didn't mention Forrest Whitaker at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which he's like, I don't know. I I really I don't know. I just for some reason I really I like the way they did his character. Like I like he seems they... like really I don't know. It, it was nice to see like a oh this is like a reasonable. Like, I'm just so used to seeing sci-fi movies where, like, all the generals are like, how do we blow it up? Oh, you I know. know. Yes. So it's really yes. nice to see. Like, <laughs> One of my earliest notes that I took about this movie was maybe the military isn't evil. Like, it's, it, was, it was refreshing <laughs> that obviously there were the radicalized folks that dropped the bomb or whatever. But, like, he was just a dude that it made sense was in control of this particular world-changing event that was trying to do his job and do it well. I I did like him. He was Can can we just talk very briefly about the right wing like host guy that the one soldier's listen to and how he looks like he's broadcasting out of like his parents' basement? <laughs> <laughs> That's so you all. appreciated I the verisimilitude is what you're saying. Yes. I thought it was a pretty good, you know, it it, it looked like a budget studio, yeah. So yeah, it, it was like it was like uh, you know Rush Limbaugh with Tucker Carlson's voice broadcasting out of Alex Jones's you know first set or whatever. <laughs> it is refreshing to see in a movie everybody doing their job pretty well. <laughs> like as a professional, you're kind of like, oh, okay, there are people working together who are actually good at what they do. That's the entire appeal. Oh, not the entire appeal. That is a huge appeal of Star Trek to me. Right. Competition <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, Charlie's favorite actor we didn't mention at all. That Michael Stuhlbarg. Right. Yeah. Who, who was that? From the CIA guy. Yeah. From is that uh, the guy Men in Black 3. Phone yeah. she stole? Yes. Oh, okay. okay. The closest this movie has to like a, I mean, to like, well, maybe not the closest thing to an antagonist, but kind of on the antagonist <laughs> right, yeah. side. I mean, I think, I think, it's I mean, I guess fine. He was I mean, shooter, he's, he's so functional that's, that's... <laughs> here. Yeah. He... Yeah. He wasn't experiencing time the way he was in Men in Black 3. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. Where he's a real Amy Adams character in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it's so long ago. I feel like I can't even remember. 
what happened in Men in Black 3. Well, you can always re-listen to our podcast, audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back and listen after I hear this part, after my next listen. You'll pause this episode at this point. <laughs> listen to the Men in Black episode, then resume. Yes, as, assuming that Men in Black 3, the, the Men in Black 3 episode doesn't, you know, make me go another level deeper before I, <laughs> you know, pull another uh, episode off the stack. <laughs> Paul, what do you think about the music? You know, I'm trying to think, like, I don't remember having any, I don't remember noting it specifically for no, some okay. reason. Yeah. So either it worked or <laughs> it didn't catch my attention or i wasn't paying enough attention it gave me hans zimmer vibes enough that i had to look up to see who did the music right and it was not hans zimmer oh okay <laughs> during the opening montage part i did for a brief instant think to myself is this british sea power but that was about it other than that i thought it was blended into the background mostly yeah, and it just yeah, a lot yeah. of times it had that bomb feeling to it. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not a very familiar to me. And then I was like, well, I have watched this movie three times, so it's probably this movie that I'm remembering it from. <laughs> there was one part when they were still talking to the aliens, where the alien made a noise, and I wasn't sure if it was the alien making the noise or the soundtrack making the noise. Yeah, when they're waiting for the. Sorry, that was not the movie we watched. That was Star Trek Discovery that I watched earlier today. But I had that, <laughs> I had that issue with the They're basically trying to use sonar to navigate, and they're waiting to hear the ping. And the soundtrack is making like little painting noises. And I was like, are those the pings, or is that the soundtrack? And then like a big pain happens and everyone's like, oh, we got it. And I was like, OK, I guess it was the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I noticed on my second half of viewing. <laughs> so there's the confusion like mid movie about them offering a weapon that maybe the weapon is just them not quite using the right word for technology and ultimately is actually their language that they're trying to offer up. Mm -hmm. But earlier in the foreword to Amy Adams's book that Jeremy Renner is reading, she she has that quote about how language is the the first weapon drawn in a conflict. Is is there supposed to be a connection there, or is that yeah, just yeah? That's like a wink. <laughs> okay. Are you paying attention? Wink, wink. Okay. Yeah. Although I I didn't remember it. <laughs> So it's good that you pointed out. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's what they're doing. But it's not <laughs> like that's the beginning of her being able to interact somehow. And then oh no, with her. I think okay. that's just like yeah. See, we brought this up before. If you were paying Purely attention, incidental. if you were really paying attention, you'd have already known this. <laughs> you shouldn't have been in suspense. The only other thing I was going to bring up was it's hard to say I enjoy it per se, but I. I find value in sci-fi that gives me new and horrible ways of experiencing sadness. And, and, <laughs> and, like, I, you know, just like I've, I've never conceived of the idea 
of of having a child knowing with certainty that by like age 12 or 14 or whatever that they would die of some horrible disease it's like um i i guess in my notes i'm comparing it to interstellar where like uh, matthew mcconaughey has to watch in what feels like was just like days to him like a decade or two of his children's life passing before his eyes or every other sad episode of black mirror basically like i i and i truly mean like i i felt things during this movie that i had never thought about considering feeling and i i'm not saying that sci-fi is required by any means to do that but i really 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 appreciate movies that give me those sorts of feelings so one small point that I just noticed this time around. And I fully acknowledge that this is something for the audience, but trying to teach aliens English using English orthography seems like a really bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, all right, I'm going to teach you our language, but I need you to learn all these differing sound correspondences for each letter. Like, oh, and then like she was like on the board, it said Ian walks. And I was like, oh, we're going to teach them uh third uh, person agreement as well on verbs <laughs> and i was like mm. i was like yeah she'd probably actually be teaching like ipa or something like that or some consistent system that's all what's that was my what, thing i noticed what's orthography they mentioned that a few times in the the movie didn't they uh orthography is written language oh okay so how you write things basically right like that as the movie says at one point there doesn't need to be a one-to-one correspondence between what we write and what we say it's just as humans who write that's what we do we have representations of our spoken language and those those written representations that's orthography okay thank you so kevin you're the one who chose the movie is it a movie you enjoyed do you regret watching it uh, no, feelings? I mean, I, this is going to start so off topic and hopefully veer towards something on topic. Um, the movie Coco by Pixar. I loved Pixar movies. Uh, I had never seen Coco as of whenever I first watched it, 2014. And, uh, you know, Pixar movies up until that point, deeply affecting for me. I have definitely wept manly tears watching like Toy Story 3 or whatever oh would have God. come up. Leading... Toy Story 3, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so when Pixar released a movie that was about death and featured an old person in the cast, like just watching the trailers, I knew it was going to be rough for me. What I was not expecting at all was for it to be rough for me, not because an old person, you know, passes away, but because, like, the plot of the movie is that a father died with, like, a five-year-old daughter at home. I watched that movie with with relatively, I, I guess, my first son had been born within the last year or so. Isaac is his name. That crushed me and it crushed me doubly so because i i just did not expect that that was what the movie was going to be about i had an extremely similar situation with with this movie like i came in i'd seen the trailers i i could tell just by the color palette that it was going to be kind of a uh yeah, a thinky, uh, one of those thinky movies, and you know that it wasn't going to be the Avengers with quips shooting everywhere. But like, I will, uh, I will fully admit that upon completing this movie, I 
it was like 10 at night. I very quietly snuck into same kid's room, Isaac, who has a nightlight. And I just stared at him for like a minute or two straight. <laughs> like I was expecting this movie to be the middle three quarters of the movie. The part that I am still very glad I watched, but will forever scar me was like the very opening segment and the tying it into the fact that she is making the choice to have that child despite knowing the horrors that await that child. I I really, really, really appreciate and find value, I will stay short of saying I love, movies that make me feel things about like situations I have never considered possible. Put this movie up there with with all of the other things that make me deeply uncomfortable, but that I love in the sci-fi genre. Um, uh, as I've already said, I already watched it one and a half times. I'm sure I will complete that rewatch and probably watch it a few more times with with other folks. I, I, I am very glad I picked this, very glad I finally got around to watching it, and hope that everyone else enjoyed it as much as I did. Was that too rambly? Was that no, faintly no, on great. topic? Okay. Just, nobody <laughs> wants to follow that. Nope, nothing, no, no notes. Nothing to add. Fantastic. I did not have the same reaction as Kevin did. And I do think part of that is because as someone who doesn't really believe in any strong version of linguistic relativism, it was tough for me to get past that. Like, I kind of feel like I did it, but I was never as completely on board as I think the movie hoped I would be. And so maybe that and the color palette and things like that is why this movie feels a little detached to me. In some ways, it feels like it's it's a movie that's keeping me at arm's length a bit. And so it's a movie that I can sort of appreciate and enjoy the craft that went into it, but I don't know if it really makes me... It doesn't give me the same sort of visceral reaction as like some other movies do. Um, that said, when the movie was over, I did go and hug my wife for a bit. So oh. I, I guess it did affect me in some ways. But it's a movie that's easier for me to appreciate than enjoy, I think. That said, I if it's, uh, if it's a movie that sounds kind of interesting to you, I think you should watch it. I, I don't want to not recommend it to people or say, oh, that's a bad movie or anything like that. So... Like, I don't think it's a bad movie by any means. I'm just not sure it clicks for me the way it might for others. But yeah, maybe try it. Maybe it'll click for you. Popcorn Charlie. <laughs> if for some reason you're listening to this uh, prior to watching the movie. Right? Oh, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do like this movie. I've watched it multiple times. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like in between the two of you. I appreciate that. It's all getting towards that one question because I feel like the movie's kind of structured to get to the end that it gets to about asking that question about, okay, would you have a child knowing what's going to happen to them? It chooses not to flesh out the characters too much either beyond just their jobs, but not every movie needs to have like super strong characters either. So I think it does what it's trying to do pretty well, and I do like the ending. It is a bit mundane in a way, isn't it? The way everyone kind of goes about their jobs. It's not flashy. Exactly. But I, I do appreciate that. I don't know if I got as much out of it. Like, I think each subsequent watch, I get a little bit less out of it. When you know what's going to happen, and you're like, you know the whole time that she's thinking forward in time. Like, the second time, I think, was good. Like, Kevin's, you know, 
half watch afterward where you're oh oh I see what's going on here I'm picking up more things and I think the third time I watched it I was like eh I maybe got one or two more things out of it but that's not it was weird to watch this movie coming off of 2001 <laughs> where you feel like you'd watch that movie a hundred times and not really get everything you're going to get out of it but that's also not a really fair comparison so yeah I don't really know what to say except I'm kind of I'm kind of between you two I do enjoy it would you recommend it to others uh I would I mean of the Denis Villeneuve movies I've seen. It's not one of my favorites. I think I've seen like four or five of his movies, and wow, it's maybe it's like towards the bottom, but what it's still good. Be your what would be your favorite? Uh, I still really like Blade Runner. I saw that uh, one twice. Twenty forty nine. Oh, three times to be explicit. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah actually, I, I, more. I I've seen like that like four or five that. times now. I guess, but yeah, I Sicario was great too. Three or four times. That Sicario's got a really great action sequence in it too, but a few of them. How did you feel about Dune Part Two? Dune Part Two. It's the best yeah. movie I've never seen. <laughs> best well, movie that hasn't come out yet. Were, I thought maybe you were experiencing time the way Louise was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dune Part 1 was good enough that I'll watch Dune Part 2. <laughs> Doug? Uh, it was definitely a movie that I watched. Um, <laughs> I, I got the, I no, very much got the feeling. No, no. Let's start with the main question first. Better or worse than Contact? Oh, Way, 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 way better than Contact. Count that as a win, then. <laughs> um, they they kind of steered in the direction of Contact's awfulness a little bit, but uh, they managed to uh, temporarily point it in that direction before veering away um, and handled the uh, the right wing people setting us up the bomb. A lot better than Contact. So when when I asked Doug earlier if he was going to watch this with us, he was like, I don't know. I heard it was a lot like Contact, and I hated Contact. (laughs) And so so that's why I'd count this as a win, because I was like, it's not really like Contact. (laughs) No, it's not, fortunately. I do feel that I missed out by not seeing it in the theater, because it... It feels sight and sound wise very grand, like uh, you know, like the sweeping vistas and the uh, modern sound mixing that does not work well on a stereo television. Yeah, like the low frequency yeah, it's really, aliens. In. Yeah, yeah, really a movie that demands the iPhone experience. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the way David Lynch you wants, you, wants you to watch close enough to the iPhone. You know, I'm <laughs> sure it's got like great stereo. You just got to install the you know the low frequency vibration add on. That said, it was uh, I did end up having to come up with my own insane interpretation. <laughs> because I disliked the as presented plot, so <laughs> I'm going to count that one as a ding against it. Um, <laughs> File it under psychotic break. It's like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer talks about how he makes up his own plots when he finds movies boring. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like asking clarification questions like, who was it? Was it Marge or maybe that was the leader episode? I don't remember. But he's asking clarification questions to someone, and they're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" So like, didn't know internal affairs was setting him up the whole time. <laughs> it was something like <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> so anyway, I guess in terms of you know, like, would I recommend this to others? Uh, I'd recommend it to people who uh, 
enjoy thinky sci-fi films, <laughs> but it's definitely not my usual fare. And I'd also like to ask how we got through this entire thing without once mentioning Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We haven't watched that on yeah. our shuffle yet. So that no did occur to me at the beginning. I was like, just do music. That's the <laughs> yeah. <thing."> like, <laughs> just, like, like you almost w- wondered, you know, did they try the musical tone sequence from Close Encounters? <laughs> yeah, they didn't even think to hire a musician, you know? Like, they just two experts, <laughs> two fields, that's all you need. They ran well, out of money. Maybe that's the guy who was leaving in the medevac. No, <laughs> it, was, it was too much for him. The next two people they would have hired would have been a psychologist and then a musician. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, what about you? What did you um, think? You know, I thought it was pretty good. It was a little different than I expected in that I I came in kind of expecting it to be maybe more thinky. And and while it is, because clearly it's it's if a vote plot discussion. Shuffle, it if was sci-fi a lot. Shuffle does anything. I hope it's incorporate the word thinky. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this general, will spill over into the yeah, main line exactly. for sure. I I will never stop using this because it's just too useful. But, Cerebral, uh, nah, thinky, <laughs> thinky, <laughs> like <laughs> like I I was expecting it to kind of lean more into that and while that certainly wasn't element of it it was a lot more feels uh in terms of you know the emotional impact of seeing your the tragedy of your future child dying and i think i wasn't quite ready for that i thought it was pretty well done but at the same time i was kind of i was a little bit let down because i wanted it to be like a it, it felt like the the language part almost got solved a little too quickly to me I guess like it it leaned over leaned more into what sort of effects the communication were having were having on her emotions and memories and it felt a little bit mon like montage-y to me. Um not that it would have been a better movie it was if it was just beat for beat, but I guess it it was a little different than I expected, but I thought it was well done nonetheless. Maybe not like super gripping the whole time, but you know, for what it was, I thought it was uh good and i would i would recommend it to anyone who was looking for that sort of experience all right thank you everyone that was a discussion of the 2016 film arrival and now paul it's time to shuffle the sci-fi and tell us what our okay let's uh let's get out the spinner here yeah i don't know Uh, if i want that to be our catchphrase shuffle the sci-fi but (laughs) (laughs) let me get my get my uh sci-fi cards that i've uh made here and just kind of your Hanafuda sci-fi cards? Yeah, just kind of shuffle them up a little bit. Just here clicking. Oh, okay. I was trying to make a shuffling sound because there was a checkbook in front of me, but I guess it's not really working. No, I can hear it. You're fine. <laughs> so I think after much internal deliberation that I would like to watch 1973's Fantastic Planet for our next oh, installment. Okay. Nice. I have not seen it, at least like the whole thing, you know? Like I've... I've heard of it. I had seen someone watching it for like a short portion of it, but I had never watched it front to back. So 
Oh yeah, it's, it's on, on Criterion. It's on HBO. HBO Max. Max. Yes, I watched the first like twenty minutes and was deeply upset and turned it off. So I am excited oh. <laughs> for <laughs> for the opportunity to watch the remainder of the film. I mean, we all get one veto, for, you know, <laughs> no, no, or you can no, sit no. it out too. We don't this, have to traumatize. I ourselves. I would like to give it another shot. It was very. It was intriguing what I watched, but I was just not in a good headspace at the time to continue watching the uh, the Fantastic Planet or whatever the left. French name of it is, Le uh, Planet Sauvage or something like that. Oh, oh yeah, like yeah, Savage Planet. Right. Or something. When I started actively getting into like Criterion Blu-rays, that was one of the early pickups. So yeah, I watched it on HBO Max a couple of years ago. Nice. I've come very close. I've had my finger hovering over the button to stream it. I just for whatever like, reason. Uh, video. <laughs> just I'm just don't. gonna watch. <laughs> I'm gonna watch RoboCop instead. <laughs> <laughs> I have this sneaky feeling that someone will make me watch this eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I have memories, flash forwards of someone making me watch this. <laughs> There's. <laughs> No need to force yourself. <laughs> it'll it'll come. Well, for another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report, my name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and a very special thanks to our three guests here from the Sci-Fi Shuffle. We had Doug Gobeski. Hello, thank you for having me and listening to my crazy thoughts on this movie. Kevin Bradevog. It was great being here tonight. Thanks for having me. And Paul Wilcox. It was a pleasure as always. Fantastic planet. I think there are boobs in that. Yeah, there's all I mean, sorts it's of animated things. It's going to be our first animated boobs of the mar- of the <laughs> shuffle until it comes back around to me again. Uh, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> emphasis on first, not only. First. <laughs> That's our show. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook, just like the Gobeski Wallace Report, and you can also follow us on Twitter at GW Report. And check out our website, thegobeskywallsreport.com. That's probably the important bit. Well, yeah, I guess all the other links are there, so <laughs> if you remember one thing, remember that. Not your name, but gobeskywallsreport.com. <laughs> More important than your name. May I interject with a rude insult? No. I'll allow it. Oh, all right. Uh, Your mama's so fat, uh, she causes uh, scientific anomalies that physicists mistake for something called dark matter. I should have said gravitational anomalies. Damn it. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, that would have made it. Look, next time. (laughs) Next time. Next time. Got to got to workshop these insults. <laughs> no good, no good at uh, yeah. This is thinking on. You know, so uh, I work at a fish market. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, imagine jokes in in nonlinear time. Like, how do you how do you how do you create set up the unexpected? Like, huh? <laughs> Dang. <laughs> And Amy Adams never laughed again. Or would you say it every repetition? <laughs> well, now I really hope that this eternal recurrence thing isn't for real. <laughs> I know this punchline, but I'm going to politely sit here. <laughs>
Fine, the dog wasn't that shaggy after all. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) They've arrived, these guests, for sure. We've got Paul Wilcox. (laughs) Thanks for the ringing endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Fredvogue. Hey, excited to be here. And uh, Gobeski. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'd just like to point out that since this is not the Mary Marvel Movie March, you do not necessarily have to come up with punny ways to introduce our guests. Oh, introduction retracted. (laughs) They're just guests. (laughs) 